Uh, good morning, everybody. Like Justin said, my name is Johnny. I see a lot of new faces. I'm the pastor of Zion, Staten Island. Um, I thought that planting the church in Staten Island would mean no more Verrazano tolls, but God had very different plans. Uh, I'm happy to be here today, and uh, like Justin said, we've been in the book of Luke for six weeks, and we're finally out of chapter one. At this rate, we'll finish the sermon series in like 2026. Uh, so buckle in. It's been a good one. Um, and today we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. So after six weeks of buildup in the sermon series, after a whole chapter of buildup in Luke, Jesus is finally born. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the promised one, Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate in physical form to take away the sins of the world is finally born. He finally makes his appearance. And that could be the whole sermon right there. The most important person who had ever been born, the most important person who would ever be born was finally born. After years and years of waiting, God said the Messiah would come and now he came. God is faithful. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look a little bit deeper into this portion of scripture, which if I'm being honest, is a portion of scripture that I'm tempted to just skim through and, and fly by. It's not, these types of verses aren't verses that I tend to spend a lot of time in uh, digging through and digesting. Uh, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what details Luke gives us in his, in his telling of the birth of Jesus and see what we can learn about it, uh, see, see what he's trying to show us through that. And so with that, let's pray and let's get into the scripture. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you for another day. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you together. And as we get into your scriptures, as we uh, seek to learn the things which you have to teach us, we pray that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would be good soil, that your word would be planted, uh, and that it would, it would grow and, and, and produce fruit in us, Lord. Let it not be any of my words being spoken, but let it be your words, your Holy Spirit speaking through me, speaking to all of our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's read uh, chapter 2 starting at verse one. If you have your sermon sheets, it'll be right there for you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, who also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so what's going on here? Uh, Luke is cluing us into a very important, a very key event that was happening at the same time Jesus was born. And that's that Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire, had decreed a census. And so if you're not familiar, a census then served a very similar purpose to the census that we have to fill out today. I think we just did one like two years ago. If you're like me, you ignore every commercial and every letter and every ad you see until the very last minute. 
you know, you get to the point where the people are knocking on your door and they're like, you don't even have to fill it out. I'll fill it out for you. Just tell me what to say. And I still like look out the window and ignore them and eventually fill it out at the very last minute so I don't get into any type of trouble, right? This is the census. It's inconvenient. Nobody looks forward to it. Nobody wants to do it. It's not an exciting thing. It's a thing that we have to do. That's what was happening at the time of Jesus' birth. But what was different about this census is that Caesar Augustus decreed that everybody had to go to their hometown to register. So you couldn't register where you were living. You had to go register where you were from, where your family was from. And what that meant for Joseph and Mary was that they had to pack themselves up. Joseph had to pack up himself and his very pregnant wife to take a very long, very uncomfortable, very inconvenient, very unwanted journey to Bethlehem so that they can register. And while they were there, Mary gives birth, and the king of kings is born. But he's not born in a way that we'd expect a king to be born. See, the birth of Jesus was really inconspicuous. He's the king of kings, but he's not born in a palace. He's not born in uh, lavish comfort, not in royal bedding, not with servants to wait on him and his mom and, and meet their every need and every whim. He's born into a place that has no room for him. Consider this for a second. This is God incarnate. The creator of the universe comes to the world that he made in order to save it, and that world doesn't even have room for him to sleep. So he's laid in a manger, which is where the animals would have eaten their food out of. It was a feeding trough. Knowing what we know now, knowing that he was the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God incarnate, this is not the way we'd expect him to be born, and it's not the way anybody else expected him to be born either, but this wasn't done by accident, it was done by design. This didn't happen because Joseph was dragging his feet and delaying the trip, and now they got there, and Mary was like, you see, we should have left three days earlier, I told you, now there's no room for me and the baby. This didn't happen because Joseph forgot his wallet or didn't have enough money to pay. And Mary's like, I don't even know why I'm messing with you. You broke carpenter, can't even pay for a room for me and the baby to sleep in, right? That's not why this happened. This wasn't done by the hand of any man, but it was done by the hand of God. And today we're going to talk about why. You see, you might not have realized it in the reading, but in this story, Luke is making a strong comparison. He's, he's making a strong juxtaposition between two different kings and two different kingdoms, two different ways of life. He's drawing a comparison between the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God, the earthly kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. So let's take a minute and talk about these two kingdoms. First, the earthly kingdom of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire at the time was the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth. They were unrivaled, unmatched in their strength, in their power, in their reach. And the Roman Empire was ruled by Caesar Augustus, who was the nephew of Julius Caesar. He was well-connected. He was part of uh, the royal family. And his name wasn't actually Caesar Augustus. Augustus was a title that was given to him, and that title meant holy and majestic. This is how the ruler of the Roman Empire was viewed. He was larger than life. He was viewed as holy and majestic. That's how people viewed him. That's how people were to view him. 
There was a lot of legend around who he was. According to legend, he was miraculously conceived. He was hailed as a God whose birth was the beginning of good news. He was called the savior of common folk. He was considered the son of God, the son of a God, the son of Zeus. He was considered to be the savior. His, his name was associated with peace, hope, and good news. This was the ruler of the Roman Empire. This is uh, who was in charge when Jesus was born. The Roman Empire with Augustus at the helm was unrivaled in its greatness and its power and in its reach. He said of himself that he found Rome built in brick, but he left it in marble. He was a good, he was a great leader. He made a lot of advancements. He built uh, libraries. He commissioned uh, things that were very good for Rome. He expanded the, the Roman road system. Rome and Caesar Augustus were the epitome of success, of greatness, of prosperity, of power, and of strength. And this is the context that Jesus is born into. This is who's in charge when Jesus comes into the world. This is the, the vision of power, the vision of a great king and a great kingdom when Jesus, the king of kings, is born. A strong, powerful kingdom ruled by a man perceived to be a god. And so people waiting for the Messiah would have expected a similar show of strength a similar show of power, a similar show of greatness, because it was believed that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire to release God's people from the Roman Empire's oppressive rule. And so if you're expecting somebody to come and overthrow this great kingdom with this, with this king who's believed to be a god, then who else could do that but somebody equally as strong, equally as powerful, somebody with an equal military, somebody with equal, equal uh, uh, resources and finances, right? This is who people were expecting the Messiah to be. But in the midst of this great kingdom, Jesus is introduced, the Messiah is introduced, the king of all kings is introduced in a remarkably different manner. You see, you might have put it together when I was explaining the way they viewed Caesar Augustus a second ago, but Jesus is the ultimate embodiment of the qualities that were attributed to Augustus. Augustus was considered majestic and holy. Jesus was the son of God, none more majestic and none more holy than him. It was said that Caesar Augustus came from miraculous conception. Jesus had just been born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Caesar Augustus was said to be a God whose birth was the beginning of good news. Jesus was God incarnate, whose birth was good news to all mankind. Augustus was considered a savior. Jesus was the savior. Jesus was the ultimate embodiment of all these qualities that were attributed to Augustus. But here he lies in a manger. Why? Why, in all of God's wisdom, did he choose for his son to be born this way? This was by God's hand. It could have happened any way that he saw fit, and this is the way he deemed to be best. And the answer is this, because Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. 
See, Jesus was born and placed in a manger, not by accident. This was a clear and sure sign to all that the kingdom of God is different. It's not the kingdom we're used to. It doesn't work the way we think it's going to work. It doesn't work the way we expect it to work. It doesn't work the way we're used to kingdoms working. It's not according to our own wisdom and our own preferences, but this kingdom belongs to God and its rules are God's. And so in sharp contrast of the show and the greatness of the Roman Empire, now we have the kingdom of God. Where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Where blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And the king of this kingdom, King Jesus, didn't seek his own glory, but he sought the glory of the Father. He didn't seek his own good, but he sought the good of others. In Mark 10, 42, Jesus himself highlights this contrast between the two kingdoms. And he says this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. Remember, Augustus was just uh, exercising his authority over everybody who, who lived within the Roman Empire, so much so that Joseph and Mary had to stop their life, had to ignore the fact that she was about to give birth, had to leave home and take this long, uncomfortable trip. This is who Jesus is comparing to. And he says, but it shall not be so among you, for whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are the two kingdoms that Luke is contrasting here in his introduction of Jesus, in his telling of the birth of Jesus. He's saying, There is the kingdom of, of the earth, the Roman kingdom, and this is how things work. And now we have the kingdom of God and things work opposite. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. It's in direct contrast of each other. So why was Jesus born in a manger? Because being born in a palace isn't ultimately important in the kingdom of God. Why wasn't Jesus born into a rich family? Because material comforts aren't ultimately important in the kingdom of God. Why wasn't Jesus born into a royal family with political power? Because power and being well-connected are not ultimately important in the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it clear that these are not the things that we should seek, but we should seek first the kingdom of God. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And so we see here in Luke's comparison, what we, can, what we can understand from this is that there is a clear decision to be made. There is another kingdom. There is another way of living. There is another set of laws to abide by that work opposite what we're used to. 
But the thing is that we can't serve both. You can't serve both the kingdom of, heaven, of, of this world and the kingdom of heaven. You can only serve one. Jesus said uh, that you can't serve two masters. And so the question for us today is which kingdom has your heart? She obviously, Caesar Augustus died and the Roman Empire ultimately fell. But there are countless kingdoms that we pledge our allegiance to today. A few that come to mind, the kingdom of America, the kingdoms of the Republican and Democratic Party, the kingdom of money, the kingdom of capitalism, and maybe the most pressing in, in, our, in our culture today, the kingdom of self all earthly kingdoms that are trying to demand our allegiance, demand our servitude, that are trying to demand our obedience. And Luke is reminding us here that there is another kingdom that can be served, a better kingdom that doesn't look like the kingdoms of the earth today. You see, to follow Jesus is to gain citizenship into the kingdom of heaven and be ever conformed to its ways. Paul put it this way. He said, we are to be in this world, but not of it. And so again, I ask, where is your heart? What are you chasing? You see, you can't serve two kingdoms at once because ultimately, eventually, at some point, they're going to be in opposition of each other. What do I mean? Well, if you're serving the kingdom of money, then when the kingdom of heaven asks you to be generous with your finances, generous with your material goods, then those kingdoms are going to be at odds with one another and you're going to have to choose one or the other. If you're serving the kingdom of self, then when the kingdom of heaven asks you to deny yourself for the good of somebody else or for obedience to God's will at a detriment to yourself, then the two kingdoms are going to be at odds with one another and you're going to have to choose which kingdom you serve. If you're serving the kingdom of your preferred political party or your preferred tribe, then when the kingdom of heaven asks you to love your neighbor and even more difficult, love your enemy, then these two kingdoms are going to be at odds with one another and you're going to have to choose which kingdom you serve. And the choices that we make show clearly which kingdom that actually is. The way we live our lives shows clearly which kingdom we're actually a part of, which kingdoms we're actually citizens of. You see, the world has its ways and the kingdom of God has its ways. And you can't live by both. You can't serve both masters. And so as we continue through the book of Luke, as we consider the birth of Jesus, consider for your life and your heart, take inventory and stock of yourself. Which kingdom do you actually serve? 
Because it's easy to serve the kingdom of God with lip service. Especially if you've been in the church for a while. We know all the right things to say, all the right songs to sing, all the right points to inflect our voice, all the right points to clap, all the right, right verses to quote. But look at your life. Look at the, the difficult decisions that are presented to you on a day-to-day -day basis. Which kingdom are you truly serving? The kingdoms of this earth or the kingdom of heaven? Of which kingdom are you truly a citizen of? Search your heart and see where your allegiance truly lies. Because the kingdoms of this earth, just like Rome, are eventually going to crumble, eventually going to perish. They're not eternal and they're not everlasting. Eventually, they will fall apart. Eventually, they will be replaced with new kingdoms. Eventually, they will fail you. But the kingdom of God, ruled by King Jesus, is an everlasting kingdom and the only true place we should be putting our allegiance, our hope, our trust, our obedience, our hearts. And so as we start to close and the, the, the band starts to come back up, the good news of the kingdom of heaven the most appealing call to the kingdom of heaven, the most convincing reason to the kingdom of heaven is that it comes with a promise that one day the wicked and corrupt ways of the kingdoms of this world are going to come to an end. And that peace, joy, love, hope, the things we all truly want are going to be endlessly accessible and that tears and pain are going to be no more. The lowly kingdom, the humble kingdom, the upside-down kingdom of heaven has everything that we need. And it's the answer to everything that's wrong with our earthly kingdoms. And so if you're not sure where your citizenship lies, if you consider yourself a Christian and a citizen of heaven, but you submit to the kingdoms of this world far too often, then the call for you today is to refocus your heart on Jesus and his kingdom. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've yet to receive forgiveness of sins and citizenship into the kingdom of heaven, the everlasting kingdom, And that's the call to you today. That's the opportunity presented to you today. And we're going to have people on the side as we close in worship who would love to talk you through this and pray, pray through this with you today. Beloved, the kingdoms of this earth are never going to satisfy. They don't hold a candle to the kingdom of heaven. Not Caesar Augustus and not any ruler or leader that came after. Not the kingdom of Rome or any kingdom that comes after. Put your hope and trust in the kingdom of God today. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that in the midst of everything that we see, of everything that we know, you bring near to us your kingdom. When you speak with us, when we worship you, when you heal us, when you move in our midst, when we read your scriptures, God, arrest our hearts that we would truly be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we wouldn't live or abide by the rules of the kingdoms of this earth, that we wouldn't pledge our allegiance to the rulers and the kingdoms that present themselves to us every day, but that we would hold fast to your kingdom. That we would trust in you, that we would hope in you, and that we would know ultimately one day your kingdom will be established in a tangible way forevermore. Help us to hold to the promise that you give. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.